0: there and welcome to the happiness project podcast the podcast which has touched more than 20,000 lives and has evolved in more than 65 countries and is available on 10 plus platforms please do subscribe and follow the happiness project so that you never miss a single episode on the show you can also rate and write a review on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher or any other platform that you're listening this podcast on. Because your support will go a long way. You are now listening to a thoughtful pill for your mind series with Rena Jain who's a mental health expert, a qualified psychologist, and a wellness coach. Questions are now being accepted on this podcast. So once again, do not forget to send in your questions related to the topic being discussed. Who doesn't need a thoughtful pill for their mind? Not a little pill, but you know what I mean. So, if you don't take the pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. But, if you take the pill, you stay in a wonderland. And I can show you how far the pill can take you. It's for you to decide. You know how you always turn down the volume on the radio? when you need to think clearly about something complicated or confusing. The same is true for your life in general. The noise you need to cut out to concentrate that is the noise in your head. The busy, farad thoughts screaming over your better judgement. Turning down the radio refocuses your mind and offers you clarity when you need it the most. You don't really think about how or why this makes such a huge difference. You just know that it does. That is exactly what the significance of this thoughtful pill is about. Although it's not quite as easy as spinning the radio's volume dial the good news is you can quiet your mind and train it to think more rationally simply by reminding yourself to do so every day. So the happiness project is presenting you with some wonderful insights into rethinking mental health. Each and every episode of the series will remind you to take a step closer to taking care of yourself. So remember, there is absolutely nothing about your present circumstances that prevents you from making progress. So just take one step at a time. We have rounded up some in-depth insights, meaningful conversations with some renowned guest speakers and chose the best mental health episodes in the series to help you through those low moments we all need the pill especially now now more than ever so keep tuning in every week when the episodes are out because the moment you start listening to every single episode of the series it will be very difficult for you to do otherwise
1: welcome back to another episode on the happiness project the coronavirus pandemic has created a lot of stress within each one of us. Life certainly took an alarming turn in March. First came toilet paper hoarding, then toilet paper hoarding memes, and then real worries about food and medical mask shortages, followed by lockdowns worldwide and stay at home orders which still persists across the globe finding ways to manage stress in an uncertain time like this is as essential as it is difficult so much about this current situation is out of the average person's control and it can be hard to know how to cope exactly why it's important to talk it out and know that you definitely are not alone And on a global level, a lot of us are feeling this way. The coronavirus pandemic has forced all of us to confront something we all try to avoid and that is uncertainty. Our routines, schedules and favorite diversions. Eating out, sports, socializing with friends, travel, our jobs and very identities. Have been cancelled, leaving us without touchstones to cling to in the face of a scary unknown. The sense of groundlessness has set off a spike in anxiety. What's going to happen to my health, my job, my family? Is takeout food safe? Will there be depression? Am I going to be so stressed all the time? How long will it be before we can return to normal? Coping with existential threats in the fog of so many unknowns is a major challenge for folks programmed to make life predictable and therefore more safe. The good news is, we are resilient creatures. We will get through this too for one simple reason, we always have. And in order to discuss this topic in more detail, I have with me a growing thought leader in the field of mental fitness. She is none other than Shirley Bilson. She believes in the power of courageous rule-breaking and is currently writing her first commissioned book for Routledge, challenging existing mental health leadership and performance in secondary schools. Through professional speaking and writing, participation in expert think tanks, workshops, private practice hypnotherapy and coaching, she specializes in helping women in midlife to break out of limiting patterns of thinking and behaviour that impact on every area of life and work. The result? They become stronger versions of themselves. Daring to do the things they never thought were possible, creating a ripple effect of positive change in relationships at work and at home. So, let us now welcome Shirley Bilson on The Happiness Project. Hi Shirley, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Raina. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's such a pleasure having you on my show today.
2: Well, it's a delight to be here. I'm really quite
1: excited. Right. So, of course, you're going to be discussing about stress and anxiety. And, you know, everyone experiences stress and anxiety at one point of time or another. Whether in good times or bad, most people say that stress interferes at least moderately with their lives. So how did you come to develop expertise in understanding and overcoming stress and anxiety?
2: That's a great question. Uh, well, in terms of how I came to understand it, uh, I, I kind of stumbled into training as a clinical hypnotherapist.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It wasn't a long-term career plan. I just fell into it and discovered how much I really loved it. Right. And we were taught both solutions-focused hypnotherapy and uh, how the brain works. So looking at the neuroscience of stress and anxiety. So what that began to do for me was really unlock stuff that I hadn't really understood in my own life until then I think like most people I would have episodes of struggling Mm -hmm. um, but not really understand why you know put it down to and I think many people do this there must be something wrong with me Mm. this is a failing this is something I've done wrong (laughs) yeah and so and so it was retrospectively, I could look back at my own life and think, oh, goodness, I think maybe I had some kind of breakdown here or I was clearly depressed there or I was suffering from anxiety somewhere else. And Mm -hmm. and so that continues to inform me. And all the time I'm simultaneously working directly with clients on material that I've been trained to do. Mm -hmm. But also you'll know that the more clients you work with, the more you learn. Of course. And you you start to come up with with different ways of approaching the same subject.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So how exactly do you define stress? Stress is something
2: that I define as a physical thing Mm -hmm. because what I found less so now, now that mental health is more widely spoken about, but traditionally, a lot of people would say, oh, I don't suffer from stress. that's not a problem i have which you and i know is (laughs) not true yeah Yeah. we all suffer from stress and stress is a a normal condition Mm -hmm, yeah and so i explain to people that when i'm talking about stress i'm talking about a physical a physiological response Mm -hmm. that my brain will trigger in response to some kind of emotionally driven event right so in other words anything that increases my heart rate my sweat production um shifts my digestive processes all of this is governed within the brain in relation to stress and so i explain to people that a lot of this is happening in the background you have no aware, awareness of it at all but it's happening nonetheless yeah and really the point at which people go oh, i'm stressed and i can't cope is the point when the levels have actually got quite high
1: <laughs>
2: and that's when most people go oh, i'm stressed oh yeah uh so so i i find that it is certainly helpful for me and i think it's helpful for other people's understanding to, to appreciate that this is a physical thing that there is no separation between our brains and our bodies mm. you know you can't take your head off <laughs> <laughs> put it on the bedside stand overnight <laughs> uh, so so I yeah I'm just trying to help people link that and saying that this is a physical thing
1: absolutely so how can stress turn into anxiety Again, this is for me.
2: It could it could happen in any number of ways, but I think certainly people like you and me are familiar with the um, the metaphor of a stress bucket. Yeah. That we often talk about with clients, and and we describe how uh, all those little stresses. And, and this is this is really important because of the way I've described stress. We can see that it could happen at a very, very, very low level, something very small. Which could be, so as, I, as I'm as i looking at you now, I see cupboards behind you. Yeah. So a small stress could be you can't close the cupboard door for some reason. You know, sometimes you try to close a cupboard door and it won't close. <laughs> and that's nothing, is it? I mean, it's like that's nothing. But nonetheless, the very fact that there's a little degree of frustration or irritation about that is a stress, which is not a problem. But if our life becomes more filled with either lots and lots and lots and lots of very small, inconsequential events, or some monumentally huge ones, or a combination of both, the stress starts to occur when we overload that bucket. And that, for me, is when stress converts to anxiety. Because the bucket, if you imagine the capacity of that bucket, is personal to you or me, it's like the size of our brain or, you know, the length of our nose, it's, it's just something that's personal to us. Mm-hmm. And we are well equipped to manage the capacity within that bucket without becoming anxious. Right. But for me, if we overload it and we persistently overload it, <laughs> so we do it day after day after day after day, then we find ourselves beginning to feel anxiety.
1: I think a lot of us kind of tend to overlook that bit, mm. and uh, and I don't think people do realize how stress can lead to anxiety. But now that you've you know clarified it for a lot of our listeners, it's it's a very important thing to understand. It is, and it,
2: it for me, and I, I may talk about this later. Is the things we look at in our lives? You know, if we're thinking about you know what's happening next week or what happened last year. Mm. We tend to. In our heads, have a narration that runs that links all the big things. Yeah. And we fail to realise that the subconscious part of our brain, which is managing all those magnificent processes within our body, Mm -hmm. is all the while mapping all of the tiny, inconsequential moments that thread between those big things. Of course. And so we think, well, you know, that all that happened was this and that, or, you know, there was nothing much. And, and we're unaware of how many small things accumulate mm-hmm. within our lives. And it's, um, it's learning. So, where I like to work with people is going, okay, this is how our brain works. Yeah. Then we look at how it fixes on interpreting that information as negative, anxiety driven information. Mm-hmm. And then it's okay. We're not gonna teach your brain to do something new. We're just gonna redirect its focus. Of course. Mm-hmm. Which people want you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think. Oh, I think stress becomes a problem when it kind of interferes with our day-to-day lives.
2: Mm. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yes. Yeah. I'm So glad you said that. <laughs> yes, because. A problem is never a problem until we perceive it as a problem. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it, it isn't a problem. So, for example, if I've, I've used this example before, exactly the way you've described it. So, if I'm terrified of flying,
3: mm-hmm.
2: I'm not going to seek any help to resolve that problem unless I suddenly have no way of avoiding getting on a plane to do something else that I want to do.
3: Mm.
2: And so, the problem isn't the problem and someone else might go you're afraid of flying you should get that you should get that sorted why? why why i can get on a boat i don't care i'm <laughs> not <Or> going anywhere <laughs> and so our problems are defined according to us and, and and sometimes people spend so much of their lives avoiding you oh, yes. know creating avoidance <laughs> <laughs> so much in yeah. denial yeah yeah how can i live my life so i never have to face this particular problem Mm. that that's a problem in itself yeah of
1: course of course um how important is sleep for managing stress
2: oh um it's fundamental um i find this fascinating because um though there are many eminently qualified people who study sleep and who study the workings of the brain, and I'm not one of them, there's still very little. We can actually, you know, pin to the wall and say, this is exactly how it works. However, we all know that we feel better off a good night's sleep. We know that if we have any kind of sleep impairment, we start to function. Oh, less Yes. Effective. Mm-hmm. So, we know there's a connection. We absolutely know there is. And yeah. my understanding is that the important part of sleep is the REM part of sleep, the rapid mm-hmm. eye movement. Mm-hmm. And lots of people understand what that is, and some don't. And when people don't, I ask them if they have pets, for example.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Because it's always easy to say if you have a cat or a dog. You can observe them in REM sleep. You know when their, their eyelids are fluttering yeah, and yeah. limbic jerking. Um, and what we're relatively confident happens during sleep is that the brain is moving. This is, this is my layman's term of describing the neuroscience. <laughs> so the brain is moving short-term emotional memory into long-term narrative memory. Right. So if I come back to the analogy of the bucket, the stress bucket, the way I help clients understand that is to say, imagine this is your bucket. So when you get to sleep at night, there will, there will be stuff in that bucket. There is no doubt because unless you live on a mountain top with no connection with anyone, one,
3: mm-hmm. there will
2: be things in your bucket. But when you go to sleep at night, I like to get them to imagine that this REM sleep is is like the little uh, busy person inside your brain. And and it it comes along and says, oh, what have you brought me? What have you brought me this evening? (laughs) And it starts like clearing laundry. It starts um, emptying the things from the bucket. And then, oh, this is interesting. What on earth have you been doing today? And then it moves it into long-term memory so that, when we wake in the morning refreshed, mm-hmm. what's happened is things that we had some kind of emotional or physical response to yesterday. Mm. So, yesterday I was upset, yesterday I wasn't irritated. Today I just tell the story of it. Mm. Oh goodness, you never guess what happened to me, but I'm not feeling it. So, there's nothing going in my stress bucket. And so, sleep for me has this vital relationship with that bucket Mm -hmm. and therefore we get in the patch 22 if I have enough sleep and I don't overload the bucket then I'm I'm fine I can cope I can focus I can do whatever I want but the minute there's a shift in that relationship Mm -hmm. my sleep becomes impaired or I overload the bucket Mm -hmm. then one impacts the other and then you can end up in that Oh hold on Ma. I don't know
1: which one <laughs> Oh yes. <laughs> how 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 important do you think is the role of mindset when it comes to stress?
2: It's it's critical. It's critical, but if I go back to these insignificant moments, I think it's and we all see this. There's too many glib, magazine articles, newspaper articles about positive mindset and affirmations and, mm-hmm. you know, urging people to just stop being so negative and just stop doing this and start doing that. And, and if it were that simple, you know, people don't willfully suffer from stress and anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, if it were as easy as just reading an article going, right, what, what you're doing wrong, you know, what you're doing the wrong, Rayna, just, just being a bit negative about this what you're going to do is start being a bit more positive that isn't enough although it's actually fundamentally true mm. so the thing to do is as I said to understand how does my brain focus when I'm anxious mm. and it focuses on all of those tiny insignificant things mm. and it It's always, like the brain is always populating this vast reference library of information, every experience I've ever had, every person I've ever met, every event I've ever gone to, and filing every single thing and categorizing it Mm -hmm. as the best librarian in the planet. But it does that with the purpose of, of creating a shorthand and a shortcut so that when I come into a novel situation, it quickly references, okay, what happened last time? Mm. But when we're stuck in a negative place, when we're anxious and we're stressed and, we, and we're struggling to see the good in life and the positives,
3: mm-hmm.
2: it's because, and in my view, what we've got really good at is, is driving deep pathways, deep neural pathways and, and strong neural networks that are very focused mm-hmm. on quickly finding more of the same. Right. Because that's what the brain is programmed to do. It says, find me something similar to this so I can interpret it appropriately. Mm. And so I personally, in terms of mindset, try to get people to shift to the small things Mm. that light up their day that normally they wouldn't pay any attention to.
1: So why do you recommend we focus on the small stuff?
2: because
1: if we don't focus on the small stuff,
2: the brain is—is is, it has a tendency to focus on the negative anyway, because it, it's mm-hmm. at a primitive level, you know, in the amygdala, which is the primitive part of our brain, it's programmed for survival. Mm-hmm. So survival means to be on the lookout for things that might go wrong. And so it works in a natural state looking mm-hmm. for the things that will go wrong And with our conscious mind, so the idea is it does a deal. It says, I'll take care of all this stuff in the background. You don't have to worry about things. So consciously, the deal is I then choose how I live my life and how I spend my time. Mm. But when it starts encroaching on the conscious mind, because there's so much of it and we've overloaded, and then we can't do the things we want to do, then we... Start being driven to do more of the things that don't work for us. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And one of the strategies to go back to mindset that's often suggested, and it might be just by your friends, but often by GPs, Mm -hmm. is what you need to do take a break, you know, have a holiday, go visit some friends, get your hair done. I mean, none of which is possible under lockdown, (laughs) (laughs) but you know. Do something nice mm-hmm. and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's perfectly good advice. Mm-hmm. The trouble is too many of us live our lives based on those future-paced events. Mm-hmm. So I might get my nails done once, once a week. You know, if I'm really into having my nails done, I might get them done once, once a week. I might get my hair done once a month.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I might go on holiday, if I'm really, really, really lucky, once every few months, probably once a year. And so what happens in between? There are I, I mean like my mass I, I hardly imagine how many seconds there are in between. If, if I just did one thing a day, there's still another 23 hours
1: oh, yeah.
2: of stuff to, to go on. And because the brain will gravitate back towards, let me find the negative, mm. you keep yourself stuck and you keep thinking oh, what happened you know, and so people get worn down and wound down and they're desperate for holidays, (sighs) weekends and and it's not like they're not living and not enjoying their lives in between the big stuff. Oh yeah. And so for me, what I I say is the small stuff is what matters. The small stuff is what can work, support you creating new neural pathways, working with neuroplasticity of saying to your brain, consciously here's this thing i really like and it happens all the time and every day and and i notice it you know every half an hour it's great so you consciously start to map a new pathway until your brain begins to build a more powerful network neural network Mm
1: -hmm.
2: that means that it will more quickly and more readily reference the good stuff than the bad stuff
1: Right. I think it's all about an intention. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And so it supports you. It's just about taking really small steps. Because the other thing with small stuff, mm. you can do it all the time, do it every day. It's It forces you to notice. So if I if I think about it now, I force myself to notice in this moment. Because in every moment, there'll be something good to notice. And I might say, you know, I'm really enjoying this conversation with you, and I'm enjoying the interest in, in your face and in your voice. And, you know, I can hold that up. There's a whole sensory experience of what mm-hmm. I can see and what I can hear yes. and what I'm feeling. And the subconscious brain, the, the primitive brain, in fact, the brain that is not part of our conscious brain is working with all of those sensory pieces of information without us even noticing.
1: Yeah, yeah. So yes. want
2: to enrich it.
1: Absolutely. Small stuff matters.
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: And you know what it's like? You know when someone gets,
2: sorry, you know when someone is anxious and you ask them about their day? Mm hmm. And then and then you think, oh no, because because they get on a roll, don't they? And yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it might be just one thing, but they go on and on and on and on about their debt and, and just this thing that went really badly wrong. And if you let them, they could dive into the tiniest detail of what went wrong. Yeah. And so it's about creating a similar set of information about <laughs> things that go right.
1: And go well <laughs> totally I think people with anxiety I think it's very difficult for them to look at the good things even if there are so many they you know they're just very focused on what is going wrong or yes. how are they feeling negatively even if there are like five good things and one bad thing people with anxiety tend to oh, kind of ruminate over that one small thing that went. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, they absolutely do. Yeah, they definitely
2: do. And so I mean it's never just one tool, but I have found that one tool that I've introduced that works with this is it's relatively simple and it's I describe it as an insignificant moments of joy journal. Mm-hmm. And this obviously works better with women than men because men are you know, they don't really like <laughs> writing journals and stuff like that. But what if I'm working with the right person and I think, oh, no, this will really work for them, I advise them to, to get themselves a nice book, one that feels nice. I want it to have a whole sensory pleasure about it. <laughs> so they can use any odd notebook. They can write it on the backs of envelopes if they want. But ideally, I, I like them to turn it into a, almost like a ritual where they've got something nice that they savour, something private and personal for them. And then I urge them to capture, I, and I, to begin with, I said, it doesn't matter, it's just one thing a day. Just one thing, capture it. It could be, uh, you notice the birds singing, it could be someone smiled at you. It, it could be, a, you sat on a cushion that felt really comfortable. It, it, it doesn't matter what it is, but it has to be small and you have to write it down. And the more sensory information you can, capturing that explanation you know I felt you know warm and comfortable the, the cushion was so soft yeah. you know it felt like it really supported my back for a moment I relaxed you know if you go into that level of detail yeah, they begin to enjoy it and they begin to get the hang of it and their brain begins to work with them mm. so not only does it work in that moment of, of Slowly but surely, shifting their attention. Absolutely. But as they come out of anxiety, it also because here's the other thing: people come out of anxiety and they go, "Oh, hey, you know, everything's great," and then they forget all those tools that got them there. Uh huh. And then life happens, and invariably, you know, we'll get ourselves. In a state of that <sighs> get of mm-hmm. but if you've got this you've created this insignificant of joy journal then you have a reference point to Absolutely. back
1: to keep coming back yeah
2: yeah and you open it up and every time you read it it takes your mind and your body mm-hmm. back into that state
1: yeah that's yeah, lovely I think journaling helps. It does help people a lot. I think it has helped me for sure. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. But people have to be careful because I, what I found with clients, you who know, have, they've had to shift and said, oh, you know, I've been journaling for years, you know, because a therapist told me to journal, but they've been writing down all the negative stuff. Oh. They've been writing down how bad they feel every day. <laughs> so, okay, what are we do? Just, Get rid of
1: all of those <laughs> <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I really had no idea about this thing. Like, do people really write like the? Book? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They do, and they they think,
2: that it's cathartic because somehow getting onto the page, they feel like is letting go of it, rather than driving it deeper into the,
1: into the brain. Mm. Do you think that stress underpins all mental health problems?
2: I, I don't want to shake the ground here. And uh, and there will be much better qualified people that will disagree with me. Mm-hmm. But, they, but I, actually, we couldn't ever prove it one way or the other. That, in my view, it, it comes down fundamentally to an informed opinion and my opinion is that I think it probably does because even if we take it back to the womb Mm -hmm. we do know now that babies in the womb experience understandably what's going on in the environment of their mother Mm. and so if their mother is under stress they're going to experience the fact that oxygen starts draining away Yeah her muscles, which means it's away from the baby as well as the brain. Uh. And so early on we have an unconscious understanding of what or we can have, you know, for our <laughs> an Unconscious understanding of what stress and anxiety is. And and I kind of this is totally hypothesis on my family. I'm not talking from any scientific paper. But you know if you have an experience in the womb of your mother, experiencing stress for whatever reason, you don't know what circumstances your mother's pregnant in. And you have that bond with your mother, which a baby will. Yeah. There's also a very good reason why you might be driven to seek out similar experiences in life because they connect you to, to your parent. And I'm hypothesising massively here, but but I, yeah, I think there's a good case to be made for, instead of apologising everything and trying to symptomatically deal with a range of different conditions, I think there's a lot of power, I'm not saying it's the solution, but a lot of power in helping people understand that there are ways they can work with stress to enable them mm-hmm. to know well mm-hmm. and use the neuroplasticity of their brain to move in directions they would like it to go in. And that's mm-hmm. a massive simplification. I know. About.
1: Absolutely.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How can we become more fulfilled and happy simply by better managing our stress and anxiety?
2: well i think that if we go back to the bucket the bucket analogy and i talked about um the conscious brains enabled yeah. by relying on the unconscious brain to do all the all the other stuff but like you just do all that you know digestion breathing i don't want to be bothered with that we know that we will be able to focus mm. and do what we choose to do if you combine that with moving towards um, pos- more positive mindset when you're focusing on the small things that <laughs>
3: um
2: that does two things so it's freeing up your mind to focus more
3: <laughs> and it's
2: opening up the possibility that actually good things could happen right and so it because you've probably worked with people in the past, but when you first work with someone who's very, very anxious, and you say to them, "So imagine, a scale of not to ten, ten is you feel incredible, on top of the world, and life couldn't get any better, and not is, is the opposite," and they and they come back with a number like three,
3: mm-hmm.
2: they couldn't even imagine what fulfillment looks like. They have no idea. Mm-hmm. Like they, they just, I don't know. They're just yeah, going to yeah. and look at you, but if you can start to free them from that anxiety by reducing the stress and helping them see some of the small things, gradually things open up for them and so if you can get them up to say a, a number six out of ten, mm. when they get to about six, mm-hmm. then things outside their experience start to open up in their minds then they start to consider oh well that would be nice and then if you're saying to them okay, so that would be nice what would you do you know what might you do today that would help you move towards to that? and then they start to, to sort of set goals for themselves mm-hmm. but, and i use that with a very small view and so arguably mm-hmm. You can become more fulfilled simply by doing this friends because it allows your brain to entertain the possibility that fulfillment is something you could
1: attain. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. According to you, what can we all do to start improving our lives starting today? Starting today? Yeah. Oh, well,
2: mm-hmm. you won't be surprised. I would suggest starting an incident that of joy journal. Mm-hmm. And if you're not the kind of person that likes a journal, and lots of people will go, oh, I don't want to do that, um, then you then you need to exercise a bit more discipline and just take moments where, you know, like this moment, like for your listeners in this moment, listening to this podcast right now, just look around you, where you are, what you're doing, how you're feeling and make a mental note of all the things that are happening in this moment. And if that's connected to the good feeling, then then what you're doing is you're feeding, you're feeding your mind with reference points and you're saying to it, this feels good, find me more of this. So I know we get busy and those moments get lost, which is why I talk about the journey. But if you can just be more mindful, and I'm not talking mindfulness then that's a start that's a start I I would urge anyone to meditate every day but I'm talking beginners stuff here (laughs) Um, and I would say just start there start by noticing when you feel good what is it that's making you feel good how do you feel good where
1: where do you feel good right this has been such a wonderful episode I mean it's so lovely having connected with you today um, so before we end this episode can you tell us where can our listeners find you and about your work
2: yes I can um, it's a little confusing my, my website is called and it's a bit wordy as well so it's the mental wealth not health but wealth mm-hmm. factory okay, okay. okay. You'll also find me on Facebook under the Mental Wealth Factory. Right. My podcast, though, confusingly, is called Revelation.
1: Yes. Shirley Wilson.
2: But the best way to search for me is actually under my name. If you just Google Shirley Wilson, Mm -hmm. I'll pop up.
1: (laughs) Oh, lovely. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, of course, going to mention your details in the show notes, so I'm sure listeners can find you directly from there in case you know yeah 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 thank you thank you for being a part of my lovely show i mean having you was such a pleasure and a joy thank you oh thank you well it was really nice really nice to
2: be on your show and uh sit (laughs) on the other side of the fence but thank you for being such a lovely host
1: (laughs) thank you
0: thank you for joining the happiness project podcast Stay tuned and make sure you never miss a single episode of the show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. So thank you for all your support. And if you like this episode, please do share it with as many people as you can because sometimes all it takes is one push for someone to transform their lives. Let this podcast be the push